In the first reading from the book of Jeremiah, the Lord tells us two seemingly contradictory things. On the one hand, he says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock and bring them back to their meadow. In other words, God himself will become the people's shepherd directly. But on the other hand, the Lord also says, I will raise up a righteous shoot to David. As king, he shall reign and govern wisely. This, of course, suggests that the leader of God's people will be a descendant of David. In other words, a man. As we do every week, right after my homily, we will proceed to recite the Nicene Creed. And we will say that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, but who also by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. Our creed expresses the fundamental mystery of who or what Jesus Christ actually is, which is to say that Jesus Christ is both human and divine, both God and man, thus in one person, And only in this one person can the seeming contradiction and the prophecy given to Jeremiah be reconciled. That's why St. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off become near by the blood of Christ. On one level, obviously, Paul is talking about the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile that is possible because the church embraces all people. The mission that Christ gave to the apostles is to preach the gospel to all nations. But on a deeper level, the incarnation, this coming together of human and divine in the person of Jesus Christ, represents the restoration of the integrity of creation that had been lost by sin. Actually, it represents more than a mere restoration, because even before sin, there was always a gulf between God and his creation. Rather, the incarnation represents the bridging of this gap, a new unity in which the tension between God and creation is overcome. By virtue of this, all of creation takes on a new character. Because of the incarnation, each of us can look upon our brothers and sisters in Christ as a holy and precious thing, fit to dwell with God in eternity. Even those who are not yet baptized, We can look upon them knowing that they, too, have this same potential. And to know this changes the color of everything. St. Paul also says that through his flesh, Christ abolished the law with its commandments and its legal claims, that he might create in himself one new person in the place of the two. When we hear that, we might immediately assume that Paul is only speaking here of the law that was given to the Jews in the Old Testament. And most of us here are not of Jewish heritage, and we think, well, that law didn't apply to us or our ancestors anyway. But understand that the law was given to the Jews not just for their sake. It was given to them because all of creation had fallen into sin. God in his providence saw that the only way to keep a semblance of order until he sent his son into the world was to give them a system of legal commandments, laws that would bind them to God even if imperfectly. Because of the law, Israel would be a small flickering light in the world, a light to the nations, pointing them to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
But even Israel would only keep the law imperfectly because no system of law imposed from above can ever bring about peace and harmony. It can only bring about a semblance of order because the law of itself is devoid of love. Those of you who have children can probably attest to this. You have a kid who punches his little brother, and so you tell him, don't punch your little brother. And the next thing you know, he kicks him because he says, you didn't tell me I couldn't kick him. Because at this point, the child has not interiorized love. So he he or she will simply treat the law as an exterior command that's simply going to be given the most narrow interpretation possible. Many people mistakenly assume when they hear St. Paul talk about abolishing the law of the Old Testament that this means that Christ intended for there to be no law in the New Covenant. Of course not. We need law. Having no law is not freedom, but anarchy. But in the New Covenant, our law is established on the basis of love, not mere obedience. The law of Christ has its end not merely external order, but establishing peace, as St. Paul tells us. True inner peace, true reconciliation between God and man, and between men themselves. Christ creates in himself one new person in place of the two, thus establishing peace. Not just because he has brought Jew and Gentile together under the same regime, but because he has given us a new church founded upon love, the love of God. That shows us that we can exist in a relationship to God not as slaves or as servants, but as beloved sons or daughters. Christ redeemed humanity on the cross by his obedience. But more prior to that, by becoming man, Christ showed us that humanity itself was worth redeeming. As the psalmist lamented in the Old Testament, what is mortal man that you should keep him in mind? By his incarnation, God shows his care for all people. Jew and Gentile alike. He's shown us that creator and creation can exist in harmony. That's exactly what the sacraments, especially the most blessed sacrament, illustrates for us. And it's a good thing to keep in mind as today we are going to witness a young member of our congregation make his first Holy Communion. We are reminded in the sacraments that the things of this world, in this case, ordinary bread and wine, can be transformed by grace into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That these mundane outward forms can contain the true body, blood, and soul, and divinity of our Savior. And not just contain them, but through, that through this bread and wine, we can actually receive Christ within us. It shows us, again, that in Christ and through Christ, we as creatures have been restored, that we can be sanctified. We should not see our reception of the Eucharist or any sacrament as merely an encounter with holiness, as simply a fleeting chance to touch God. Rather, the end of the sacraments is to transform us permanently, both so that we are holier, but also so that we see the relationship between God and the world more deeply, seeing the world in the light of God's holiness. We should go out into the world not seeing sin, though of course there is sin out there, but to see in the world a new capacity for holiness, the capacity for transformation and renewal. After receiving the sacraments, we are commanded to go forth in peace. The peace that we have in Christ 
is seeing the world lighter, not darker. Not because there is no darkness in the world, but because we now know that light can overcome the darkness, that sin can be forgiven, that anybody can be saved and attain heaven, that there is hope. In the gospel reading, Jesus' disciples had been hard at work preaching and teaching and healing. And so he invited them to come away and rest. But when they they got to this place, there were, of course, more people who were there just as much in need of healing and preaching. On the one level, I'm sure this was frustrating for the disciples. They wanted to relax. But Jesus showed them the way. His heart was moved with pity for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. What we receive in the church is not meant to stay here. The grace and the love and the forgiveness that we receive, it's not meant to stay within these walls. It's meant to be carried out and shared, not shared selectively, not shared only with our friends, not shared only when we feel like it. Because the world, despite its fallenness, has been redeemed and is being redeemed. And as Christians, we have been redeemed so that we might be too continuing instruments of that redemption.